Welcome to St. Martin in the Fields and welcome to Great Sacred Music. Today we're looking at music composed for the evening. Compline comes uh, from the notion of completing the day. The word complete and the word Compline both come from the same root. Compline is first mentioned in the rule of St. Benedict, which was written, nobody knows quite when, but round about the year 500 AD. But there had uh, already been a, an earlier form of night prayer uh, that was found in the works of Basil of Caesarea, one of the great Cappadocian fathers in the 4th century. But it's the, the Benedictine rule that has the outline of, of Compline pretty much as we know it today. And the Nunc Dimittis, the, the Song of Simeon, uh, the, uh, the moment at the beginning of Luke's Gospel where old Simeon in the temple recognizes Jesus and you get this transfer from the the old sense of the temple, Simeon representing Israel, uh, celebrating the arrival of the new Israel in the form of the baby Jesus. That, that, is, the, um, that is the central moment in, in, in Compline. And we get from the very earliest times a sense of the metaphor of a human life in its beginning and its middle and its end, uh, mapping onto uh, the day in its morning and its afternoon and its evening. And that, that central metaphor, that the end of life and the end of the day, the shadows lengthening, the evening coming, uh, is, is behind the whole notion of evening worship, certainly for Anglicans. And it, was, it wasn't in the... Uh, Compline wasn't in the 1662 prayer book because what Cranmer did is he combined the sixth service of the day uh, the monastic day at Vespers with the seventh service, Compline, to make Evensong. And Evensong is, if you like, the, the great glory of the Anglican tradition. But that sense of wanting to pray at nine o'clock or something like that in the evening, in the shadows, never went away, came back into Anglicanism during the Oxford movement of the 19th century, was included in the 1928 prayer book, which, as you know, never became officially recognized but was nonetheless used as if it if as if it were and so there's always been something slightly subversive about singing even uh, singing Compline which you'd think wasn't a really subversive thing to do but it wasn't in the prayer book it wasn't in the prayer book right up until the 2000 prayer uh, common worship so so it's only then that it became an official service of the Church of England otherwise it was a slightly subversive insurgent service now it's our tradition uh, at Great Sacred Music to begin by all singing a hymn together, which we're going to keep today. Interestingly, the um, leaflet is printed backwards today, so that's going to keep you on your toes. Um, just an interesting innovation. We'll see if you like it. We'll continue to print it backwards for you. Um, now, we're going to sing The Day Thou Gavest, Lord, is Ended, which, which is actually a really fascinating hymn for a, for a number of points of view. It's, it's what always comes out high in the Songs of Praise list of best-known and best-loved hymns, and so you'd think it was just another hymn. But actually, it's a really fascinating hymn. It looks like an evening hymn, but in many ways, subtly, it is actually a celebration of the spread of Christianity around the empire, that sense that, you know, as the sun's going down on one part of the empire, the sun's rising in another part of the empire. It's a very much a... a, a a hymn of, of its time, 
printed in John Ellerton's 1871 collection, Church Hymns, which in its day, if you remember the publication of Hymns Ancient and Modern in 1861, 10 years later, along comes its main rival at the time. Remember, the English hymnal wasn't published till 1906. So the main rival was the Church Hymns, and Ellerton, unsurprisingly, included one, one or two of his own hymns in, in his celebrated hymn book. Uh, uh, but, but in the second edition, it's presented in a different way. So in the first edition, uh, it, it, this hymn is inspired by First Chronicles 23. Their office was to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord, and likewise at even. But in the 1889 edition, the verse that it's associated with is Psalm 113, verse 3. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. And it's a, it's a much more subtle and sophisticated hymn than it looks because the hymn begins with Genesis and ends with Revelation, that sense of completeness again. It starts with God giving light and ends with all creatures worshipping at God's throne. Um, it begins and ends in church, but in the middle three verses we have the planet spinning into space and people across the empire. We have the great breadth beyond church, if you like. It was chosen uh, as part of the celebrations for Queen Victoria's Jubilee in 1897 uh, and, and, and captures that sense of the empire uh, being transcended by the kingdom of God. So if you think of a hymn like, I vow to thee my country, which talks about a country and then the second verse talks about, and there's another country, this has a similar structure where it talks about, on the one hand, the empire, uh, which was obviously at its height in 1897 uh, and then transcended by the kingdom of God. And interesting, the tunes by Arthur Sullivan. You'll remember that name from Gilbert and, and Sullivan. The English hymnal was a bit sniffy about this tune, thought it was too much like a waltz, but actually it marvelously captures the sweep of the words, and I can't imagine any congregation putting up with singing this hymn to any other tune uh, than Arthur Sullivan's celebrated tune. So we remain seated, voices stand and lead us as we sing the day thou gavest, Lord, is ended.
Well, you can't really appreciate con Compline without getting your head around the notion of an antiphon. Uh, antiphons are really the bread and butter of Compline. They come before and after the Psalms. They come before and after the Nunc Dimittis. And uh, they are usually verses from the Scripture, occasionally from the Scripture that's being sung, the Psalm or the Nunc Dimittis. Uh, more often, they're, they're verses that come from elsewhere in the Bible, but, but amplify the significance of what is being sung in the Scripture. Um, we're going to hear now uh, William Byrd's uh, antiphon for Sunday Compline, which is a setting of uh, a verse from Psalm 85. Um, what, what really happened in the development of Compline and evening services generally is these, these antiphons really developed a life of their own, so they become more elaborate. You know, usually psalms would be sung in a very steady fashion, but the, uh, but the antiphons are your opportunity for a bit of a flourish at the beginning and end of the psalm. So, so this tradition goes back to, to Bird, and then we're also going to hear, uh, after hearing Bird, his contemporary Orlando Gibbons's setting of the Nunc Dimittis. We couldn't do a, uh, a great sacred mu music on um, the eventide without hearing at least one setting of the Nunc Dimittis. Um, Orlando Gibbons, greatest organist of his generation, or organist for a period of time at Westminster Abbey up the road. You may not know Westminster Abbey. It's this little, it's that little chapel that's just up the road from here. Not, not as significant an institution as St. Martin the Fields, you understand, but has a nice organ which uh, Orlando Gibbons used to play. Um, and Orlando Gibbons composed two settings of Evensong with interesting names. This, this is the, from the setting known as the short service. It isn't actually all that short, but it's known as the short service. So two pieces, one from Bird and one from Gibbons.
Now, if you think of all the stories in the Bible associated with the evening, probably um, three stand out. I guess one that doesn't get so much musical attention would be uh, God walking in the garden in the book of Genesis uh, in the cool of the evening breeze, as the old translation puts it. Uh, That would be a significant evening moment, but attention turns more to two New Testament Uh, moments. First of all, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, and then perhaps more than any other, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, and the the famous words, abide with us for evening shadows darken, and the day will soon be over. And of course, Jesus takes up the disciples' invitation. He sits down to supper with them, and as he breaks the bread, they see his nail marks in his hand, and they realize that it is the risen Christ. Uh, among them. So this has had almost limitless treatment in in art. You can go across the road to the National Gallery and see wonderful representations of supper on the road to Emmaus, uh, and and of course also in music. So we're going to hear a a setting of of that verse from Luke chapter 24, Luke's um, unsurpassed resurrection account, probably the, the most Luke is really the most sophisticated book in in the uh, New Testament in terms of the quality of the Greek, and this is probably the most uh, sophisticated story in the whole of Luke's Gospel. So it's really an unsurpassed part of our uh, our heritage, our scriptural heritage. Uh, and we're going to hear a setting uh, by uh, Joseph Reinberger. Two interesting things uh, about Joseph Reinberger, who who wrote this in 1855. Uh, first of all. Uh, is that he wrote it when he was 15 years old. So looking out today, I'm afraid most of us, our moment has probably gone for writing music of this quality. And um, secondly, he was from Liechtenstein. And the all-time list of great Liechtensteinian composers is not a long one. So for those two reasons, make the most of it.
Uh, well, it's time for us to sing again, and we're going to sing Surprise, Surprise, Abide With Me, very appropriate, after that Rheinberger piece that we've just heard. Uh, there is uncertainty about the circumstances in which uh, Abide With Me was written, but I think what people like to believe, and is probably true, uh, is that H.F. Light was dying in 1847, and he wrote this hymn two months before his death for uh, the occasion of his last sermon at Brixham Church before leaving to fr to, for France to recover. And of course, he didn't recover. He died um, two months later in Nice. In fact, this Saturday, two days' time, is the 174th anniversary of H.F. Light's death in Nice in 1847. The original hymn had seven verses. Uh, two of the verses, to use the contemporary euphemism, have not stood the, de the test of time. Uh, some of the language is what we might call unfashionable. Um, but the remaining verses uh, tell a wonderful story, and, and it's a wonderful way to uh, draw towards the close of our, our consideration of evening because it picks up several of the themes that we've heard in the other uh, pieces we've heard today. Uh, it makes the same analogy between the evening of the day and the approach of our own death. And uh, each of the verses turns to God asking for some form of comfort as it makes that uh, transition. Uh, those of you who know uh, Henry Vaughan's uh, poem, uh, My uh, Soul There Is a Country, I think we actually sang it here possibly even as recently as last week, um, the Parry setting. Uh, will pick up that he that light picked up from from Vaughan, uh, not of course from the Parry setting, which hadn't been written at the time he wrote this hymn, but from Vaughan's poem, uh, one who never changes, uh, reflected in um, thou who changest not, uh, abide with me. So the overall theme is of life that is changeable, um, God uh, that is unchanging. Uh, you may know that this hymn, two of the first two verses of this hymn are sung every year at the FA Cup final at Wembley. Uh, I, in fact, I'm old enough to remember, I think it was 1975, when they said, oh, we're becoming a secular country now, we're not going to bother with Abide With Me. And there was a massive uproar from all around the country. It's not the FA Cup final without singing Abide With Me. It, it is actually quite a curious thing to sing at the Cup final, but you know what tradition's like. So it is still to this day always sung at the Cup, cup final. And one interesting feature uh, of, of it is, if you remember, the Brixham is on the coast, uh, and the hymn tune itself is called Eventide, uh, which, is a, which has a double meaning. It, eventide, a, a rather antiquated way of talking about evening, but eventide, that notion of the tide going out, another common metaphor for the end of life, the, the tide going out, and of course, ebbs out is another phrase that's picked up in the hymn. So we have more than one metaphor going on throughout the hymn. The first of all is the end of the day, and then secondly is the tide uh, going out. So we remain seated, and the voices will stand and lead us as we sing as cheerfully as we can. It's easy to be somewhat melancholy singing this hymn. Abide with me.
Well, we're coming to the end, Babum, of uh, Great Sacred Music for this week. Uh, if you've enjoyed yourself, I hope you have. I hope you'll join us each Thursday in the future. If you're joining us also for Sunday Choral Classics, the last one of those before Christmas is this coming weekend. But Great Sacred Music will carry on through Advent and beyond, and hopefully for all time. Uh, do take a note, it's actually on the front of the sheets for those of you in the building rather than usually on the back, uh, of ways in which you can contribute to the mission and ministry of St. Martin's, enable us to continue great sacred music for all time. Uh, and also, if you're uh, joining us online, you can contribute too. Uh, the only difference, I think, is that you can't tap your card on the card reader at the back and you can't uh, put uh, notes in the collection plate, which I know that those of you in the building are just longing to do, even as I speak. Um, we're going to finish in a slightly different vein with uh, The Long Day Closes, closes another appearance of Arthur Sullivan prior to the beginning of his long collaboration with W.S. Gilbert. This was published in 1868. It's one of a number of part songs that he, that he wrote. If you're not familiar with part songs, they're songs written for several vocal parts, usually with the highest part carrying the melody and the other voices supplying accompanying harmonies. Uh, the song's meditation on death meant that it was often sung at the funerals of members of the Doily Cart Opera Company. And it's an appropriate way to finish because like almost all of the pieces that we've enjoyed together this lunchtime, it, it makes the same analogy between the closing of a day and the ending of a life. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>